Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Two weeks ago we began a series of sermons in this chapter, which has often been called the greatest chapter of the Word of God. And so this morning we come to verses 2 and 3 of Romans 8. I'll read in your hearing the first four verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. This is the Word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh." that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen. Romans chapter 8 is a chapter that speaks security and peace to every blood-bought child of God. It begins with the assurance of no condemnation. It ends with the comfort and promise of no separation. And in between those two assurances, the believer in Jesus Christ is given the certainty that in spite of his struggle with indwelling sin, And in spite of the pain of the sufferings of this present time, there is no condemnation and there is no separation. It's a chapter which flows out of the rich doctrinal truth of Romans chapter 5. And I showed you that two weeks ago. Chapter 6 and 7 are really a parenthesis in the argument of Romans. Romans 8 flows out of chapter 5. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And the chapter of God's Word that teaches us about the fullness of what we have in Christ is Romans chapter 5. That's the chapter which taught us That being in solidarity with Jesus Christ, being attached to Him, in Him, is just as real and has just as certain consequences as my solidarity with Adam had. I was in Adam. And that meant that I was a sinner that was going to die. I was in Adam, and therefore under condemnation, it was a real union. It is an inarguable union. Everybody dies. It is a union with certain 
consequences, condemnation. And my union with Jesus is just as real. It is just as certain, it has just as certain consequences. In Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. Because of one man's sin, many are made sinners. By one man's obedience, many are made righteous. And what I showed you was that Romans 8 flows out of that, where Paul says at the end that I'm no longer under the reign of sin. Rather, I am under the reign of grace. It used to be that sin had complete control over the whole course of my life. I was born in sin. I was shapen in iniquity. I was a slave to my sins. I was going to die in my sins. I was going to be condemned in my sins. It was all sin. And now, because of Jesus, because of my union with him, it's all grace. Grace reigns. Grace has complete control over the whole course of my life from beginning to end. And there's no condemnation, therefore, because of the reign of grace, because of my solidarity with Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation, therefore, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, this morning, we're proceeding down to the next two verses. And you notice that those two verses both begin with the word for. Or you could say because. So here we have the mind of God revealed to us about just how certain it is that those who are under the reign of grace those who are united to Jesus Christ will never know condemnation. It is certain because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And that freedom is because, so the second four is explaining verse 2. So verse 2 explains 1, and verse 3 explains 2. It's like stair steps. That the law, I have been freed from the law of sin and death because what the law could not do, it couldn't do something. So because the law couldn't do it, God did it. And that's the message of verse 3. The law couldn't do something there was a reason why it couldn't do something. And so, because the law couldn't do it, God did it. And that is what ensures that I'm freed from the law of sin and death. And that is what ensures that there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So what is it that the law could not do? Well, what's the whole paragraph about? No condemnation. The law could never not condemn me. 
All the law could do was condemn me. The law is very good at condemning. That's his best, that's his best quality, condemning. The law, couldn't, the law couldn't justify me. Let's stop using double negatives. The law couldn't not condemn. Okay, so let's flip it around. The law couldn't justify. So God did what the law couldn't do. And Jesus condemned sin in his flesh. God condemned my sin in Jesus Christ. This morning, dear congregation, as we prepare for fellowship with the Lord around his table, I want us to think together about the condemnation of sin in Christ. Or you can personalize it. My sin condemned in Christ. My sin was condemned in Christ. And that's why there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation because that sin was condemned in Jesus Christ. And so let's just walk through verses 2 and 3. And make sure that we understand what exactly the Apostle Paul is teaching us by inspiration. You know, as we come to the Lord's table, you know, before we actually start into the actual phraseology here, let me make this initial application to us. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, we are especially called to self-examination, aren't we? The Apostle Paul told us that, wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. That self-examination, it is healthy, it is necessary. We ask ourselves questions like, am, am I walking in the light and honest about my sin? Or am I lurking back in the shadows and living in darkness? Do I have a secret walk with God? Or is my Christianity all outward profession without any real personal relationship? Do I need to be reconciled to a Christian brother or sister? Is there any sin that I need to confess? Of course. Of course the answer is yes. I have so many sins to confess. So what am I going to do then? As I'm confronted with the fact that the elements are going to be distributed here in a few moments. What I need to do is I need to claim the truth that we're about to see this morning. That that my condemnation 
has already run its course. That my sin was condemned in Jesus Christ. So when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because that sinless Savior died, my soul is counted free for God the just one. He is satisfied to look on him and not on me. And brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to deal with a conscience that condemns us and a devil which accuses us. And the way that you constantly fight that is with this passage. There is no condemnation. I've been set free from the law of sin and death that condemned me. That my sins were condemned in the body of Jesus Christ. The condemnation of sin in Christ. So here's how we're taught it by the Spirit of God. We read in verse 2 about our freedom from the law. Verse 2 says, this is why there's no condemnation. Here is the divine explanation. There's no condemnation because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, there's all kinds of discussion about that verse. And the discussion focuses on what is this law of sin and death. And confusion comes in when you read at the end of chapter 7, and Paul's arguing about this law he has found within that keeps him from obeying God the way he wants to obey God. And he refers to indwelling sin, and refers to his flesh as like a law of sin, as a principle within that resists God. And so some people have tried to read that into this verse. But you get pretty wild explanations when you try to do that. What you end up saying is, there's no condemnation because of the Spirit's sanctifying work in me. There's no condemnation because I've been freed from the flesh. That can't be. And so I think the best way of taking law of sin and death is just as a reference to the law. I mean, we're talking about condemnation. It's a judicial term. In order for, for there to be condemnation, there has to be a law that's been broken. And then there's an appeal to that law as the reason why there ought to be punishment meted out. So the law of sin and death is just God's law, which I have broken and which condemns me to death. And it's called the law of sin, not because the law is sinful. The law is holy, righteous, and good. It's called the law of sin because I've broken it. That's the definition of sin. And it's called the law of death because it condemns me. But see, this verse tells me I'm not under that law. 
The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the gospel, the Holy Spirit has united me to Jesus Christ. It is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I have been made alive. I am in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who applied me to Christ. So the gospel has freed me from that condemning law. I'm no longer under that law. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. And really, verse 2 is just a restatement of that phrase from the middle of chapter 6. I'm not under law, verse 14, not under the law, but under grace. And of course, you know that that has nothing to do with whether I'm obligated to keep the law. Of course, I'm obligated to keep God's moral law. And I want to because I'm a Christian now and I have this principle of life within. And I want to please the Lord. I want to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. I want to be fruitful. I want to be like Christ. And baseline Christ-likeness is keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not, we don't think not under the law as, oh, does that mean I don't have to keep the law? That's not the point at all. The point is, what's my standing before God? Am I still under the reign of sin? And am I still under a condemning law? Or have I been freed from that condemning law by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? So the verse says that a person that is in union with Jesus Christ cannot be brought under condemnation because the gospel has freed that person from the accusation and the judgment of a broken law. He has made me free from that law which condemned me. How? How did he do that? That's where verse 3 comes in. The law and its condemning power is no threat to me anymore because, and now you see the three parts of this verse, the law couldn't do something, why it couldn't do something, and then so God did what the law could not do. So what could the law not do? For what the law could not do, what could it not do? It couldn't not condemn me. (laughs) Or it couldn't justify me. All the law could do was condemn me. And the law is very good at condemning. Now the book of Hebrews says, the law made nothing perfect. It is holy, but the law can't make sinners holy. The law is righteous, but it cannot justify the ungodly. The law is good, and it reflects the good divine image. But it has no power to transfer that good divine image into the soul. 
the law cannot justify me. In fact, it, was, it would be ludicrous to be a criminal who has broken the law. And your argument be law. That is ridiculous. If, if you've broken the law and the law says what the punishment is, then by all means, don't appeal to law. All the law is going to do is condemn you. The law cannot justify a sinner. It can't bring a sinner into a no-condemnation state. Why can't it do that? Well, see, you see what it says. In that it was weak through the flesh. It's our fault that the law cannot justify me, because I've broken it. The righteous requirement of the law cannot be fulfilled because of my depraved state, because of my flesh. I mean, something is so utterly wrong with me by nature that Paul taught this in Romans 7, that the law actually exacerbates sin in me. It's like my flesh lies dormant. It's just kind of there, and you don't even know it's there. And you're a slave to sin, and you don't even know you're a slave to sin. You're just floating downstream in the course of this present world. You're just walking in lockstep with the prince of the power of the air, and you don't even know it until the law comes in. And the law begins to provoke. And what the law does is provokes my flesh. The law comes to me, and with bold-faced authoritarianism says, you must not do that. And me, there's something so utterly wrong with me, I say, oh yeah, you and what army? Who are you to say that I, and and all it does is prod me. All it does is exacerbate. All it does is wake up the sleeping giant within. That's what Paul taught in Romans 7. So the law couldn't possibly justify me. I'm that bad. Down in my heart, I'm that bad that all the law can do is make matters worse and condemn me in the end. And it does that very well. The law announces, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things written in the book of the law to do them. The law can't produce righteous living. The law cannot justify sinners before God. And so here is my my dilemma then. I can't render to God the obedience that the law demands. And I can't escape the punishment that the law requires. So I'm undone unless God does what the law could not do. And that's what verse 3 says. When the law was found impotent and powerless to justify me, God did it. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now think about that phrase. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What a phrase. 
You leave out one word and you've got heresy. What if you left out the word sinful? Just read it without the word sinful. God sending his own son in the likeness of flesh. True? Untrue. Untrue. He's not just in the likeness of flesh. He is flesh. He doesn't just like appear like looking like a man, kind of. He really was a man. <laughs> he really was a human being. He was not some kind of invasion from the outside. He was born into the human family. He is flesh. The Lord Jesus Christ is incarnate. 100% man. Not just in the likeness of flesh. All right, leave out the word likeness. See how it reads. God sending his own son in the sinful flesh. What do you think? True, untrue? Untrue. He is holy, harmless, undefiled. He doesn't have sinful flesh. He's not dealing with that indwelling sin that I deal with. He's not fallen. He's perfect and pure in every way. So you see, every word is essential. And what's being communicated by the Holy Spirit is that the Father sent his Son into the world in a manner that brought him into the closest relation to sinful humanity that's possible without himself becoming sinful. And no other combination of terms could have done that justice. This is the perfect combination of terms. His human nature wasn't just like a human nature. It was a human nature. It was like the nature of a fallen human, but without sin. He came into a fallen world. He had a fallen body in that it was susceptible to pain and to suffering and to temptation and to weariness and to death. But it wasn't a sinful flesh. It's a perfectly worded phrase. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Now there's a key. For sin. You know that construction of for sin? was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to talk about the sin offering. And you might even have a marginal note there where the translator supply you that alternate translation. Mine says, um, by a sacrifice for sin. Not just for sin, sacrifice for sin. It reminds us that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep had gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. And then the Lord laid on him the sin, the iniquity of us all. The Lord made his soul an offering for sin. And Peter says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He was made a sacrifice for sin. 
And Hebrews says, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he takes on human flesh. He's sent to take on the likeness of sinful flesh. And he's, his soul is made an offering for sin in the place of sinners. And when his soul was made an offering for sin, God condemned my sin in his flesh. Christ was personally bearing my sins. And he therefore personally bore my punishment. It was laid on him. He was punished in my place. My sins were condemned in his flesh. My sin received. Think of it. My sin received its judicial punishment in the flesh of Jesus Christ. That's what it means when it says he condemned sin in the flesh. In his flesh. That body that was prepared for him. He was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And my sins were punished in him. My sins condemned in Christ. And that ultimately is why there's no condemnation to those which are in Christ Jesus. Because Christ was condemned in my place. That's why. The incarnate Son of God has secured my full pardon because my sin was laid on my God-approved sin offering. And God himself condemned my sin, punished my sin in the flesh of his Son. You think about that. Think about the trade. Think about the substitution. Christ, or excuse me, sin condemned Christ. But what was going on behind the scenes was that Christ was condemning sin. It's something the law could never do. But what the law could not do, God did. And sending his incarnate son. The law was powerless to save, but Christ is mighty to save. It's a glorious, glorious truth, brothers and sisters. That Jesus Christ took on a true human nature so that he might be made a sacrifice for sin and receive in his body the punishment for my sin. He condemned sin in his flesh. And that's why there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I'll never be punished for my sins because the law can't touch me. The law can't touch me Because Jesus was punished in my place. My sins 
were punished in him. And that means I'm free. It means I'm secure. It means there's no condemnation and nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. My sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin. Not in part, but the whole was nailed to his cross. And I bear it no more. What the law could not do, and it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in his flesh. Now, brothers and sisters, if you are in Jesus Christ by faith in him, then this is not just some kind of abstract theology in the soteriology section of a theology textbook. This is what happened to your sins. Every single one of them. The ones you committed this morning. The ones you'll commit this afternoon. Every one of them placed on Jesus, condemned in his flesh. That's why it is well with your soul.